Welcome back, Nourish Your Drive listeners, and thanks so much for joining us after a six-month hiatus. It's been quite a while since we've released an episode, but we've been recording between April and September 2020, and we have a backlog of seven episodes. We're really looking forward to sharing a few of these stories with you, and we're hoping that you'll join in on the conversation. The world is reopening, and though it's been a major change since we started this project, there's a lot of opportunity now with the emergence of the COVID vaccine to go out and plan your next trip. So we hope that you'll get inspired, join the conversation, and help us and the rest of the world open those doors again and experience beyond the destination. Thanks so much for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of Nourish Your Drive. I'm Krista. And I am Veronica. And today we've got quite a guest, my fellow Orange Theory addict, Corey Robertson. And I have to be honest, Ronnie, her adventures have been pretty amazing. I did some research prior to our call on summiting Mount Kilimanjaro, which is the tallest mountain in Africa. And on average, only half of those that actually attempt the summit make it. And it takes between five and nine days, depending on the route and the total like feet that you're climbing or meters will do both since I know we got people on both sides of the pond. So it's 5,895 meters or 19,341 feet. And it's a dormant volcano. To me, like that's crazy. That's what you define as badass. (laughs) Right. (laughs) so like don't get me wrong I've been focused on the online workouts I did orange theory this morning and running and walking and all that but now I feel like my physical activity is a little (laughs) subpar and I might need to up my game so um, we have a lot to cover with Corey today because we're also going to talk about her favorite trip to Vietnam so I say we just jump into it let's do it welcome Corey thanks so much for joining us today from your London lockdown thanks for having me I'm so excited to be here You've been in lockdown since the beginning of March. Yeah. So my company kind of got a head start on this. We've got an office in Singapore and they were so much closer to the situation when it started. And so they kind of saw the trends of people locking down and it was helping to, you know, extinguish the virus, if you will. Um, And so we jumped on it as soon as we could. I was actually in the U.S. the day we got the lockdown order from the company. So I had to jump on a plane like the next day. Um, And then the government's kind of followed suit. So I've been in lockdown since like the 13th of March oh wow yeah I don't even know how many weeks that is I know it's seven weeks pushing here in London but you've been in it longer so maybe like eight something weeks like that before. that sounds right yeah that's a long time um I was hoping to go home before now um to see my family but it'll change since lockdown it's just plans to see people back at home yeah are things uh that we wanted to do definitely interrupted right and I think that it really um is a test on how we respond to quick change, right? Some of us are not okay with that at all, but we're in a position right now where we are forced, our hands are forced with no type of, you know, room to, to maneuver or alter according to our own wishes. So it's been an adjustment. Definitely. Really nice to be forced to slow down and kind of take more time for myself. It's really given me time to just reflect. I never did before. Definitely an adjustment. For sure. So going back to 
your upbringing. You call Auburn, Alabama home home. Yes. Um, and when I talk to Krista, she's always like, I am from Cincinnati. That is home home for me. So <laughs> how has it been making the transition from South in the United States to internationally London? I feel like it was, it came up kind of out of nowhere. Like I did my um, accounting internship here and I had only ever been to Italy. I had studied abroad there for a summer, but that was my only like taste of Europe. And so when I mm-hmm. moved back, I was really excited, but I just had no idea what to expect. And I just, I think it's, it's so different than the South. Like the South is lovely and wonderful and sweet, but it's, it's slow and not in a mean way at all. Mm-hmm. It's more of like, like everyone just takes their time because they're like talking to each other and here everyone's like headphones and silent and no one talks to each other. That's really funny to me, Corey, because for me, it was an adjustment too, but it was a bit in reverse. When I came to London, I had been supporting the Northeast for a while. And so it's such a transition between, you know, the, the Northeast and the South and London smack dab in the middle. So the South is slow and easygoing and super friendly and the Northeast is super quick and expects everything mm-hmm. best. So that's really interesting that, that you say that, but how's your family doing back home? What's, what's the update there? So, um, my sister is full-time work from home anyway. So her working situation hasn't changed except her husband's now at home. And, um, she said she's not worried about his health, but she's worried about his safety. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, I might kill him. Um, so that's how her situation <laughs> changed. And we we're I've been here for so long that now we talk quite a bit just over text or FaceTime or whatever. So that hasn't changed much. Um, and my mom's a doctor. And so she's kind of on the front line of this and she's, um, a GP for those British, people and a family practitioner for the American listeners. Um, And so they wanted to keep her practice as normal as possible. So people with like a broken leg or the ER and possibly get exposed to coronavirus. And so she's, you know, having to keep things as normal as possible while in the hospital with, you know, all of this going on. So that's different. I'm probably way more stressed out about it than she is because I'm like, you're going right into the middle of it. I need to talk to you constantly. And she's like, well, I can't very well do my job. Um, if we're talking constantly. So it's been different. Definitely. <laughs> I think that it's um, what's interesting. And I'm glad that you brought that up because those of us who have loved ones who are close to us, who are on the front lines, right, whether they be police officers or they're working in the hospitals, I think that when you think you want to be a doctor or a police officer as you are, you know, growing up and learning about these different careers, I think there's a different level of commitment that people in those fields and those industries have, and they are willing and ready to serve the people at all costs, right? And it's a very selfless thing to do, and I I admire it. I think that it's absolutely awesome that individuals will say I have to do this because the lives of other people rely on my action and my dedication to my career in this industry oh yeah it's like it's it just completely makes my job seem so unimportant and and like it you know it's just a totally different scale of importance I guess yeah absolutely for sure definitely no judgment right but it's, no. it's things into perspective <laughs> absolutely right where it's like I don't know if I would be able to do that every day no it's a lot I agree with that and I think Corey like your mom's pretty important to you really important for her that you guys traveled every year and often that she really set the precedence for what travel meant to you can you tell us a little bit more about absolutely. that absolutely so she grew up 
pretty poor. So her dad passed away when she was 10 and her mom was blind. And so she didn't have a job and they lived in like very small town Canada. So she didn't have the opportunities that she was able to give me. Um, she put herself through medical school and like, is just the coolest woman of all time. But she, um, got to travel a bit after medical school before starting her job as a doctor and just, you know, got to see the world, which she didn't really know existed. And she always thought that me and my sister should learn different languages and definitely travel all the time. Um, and so we're super blessed to like, kind of learn from the things she never had and grow from the things she never had, which is pretty remarkable. Um, but yeah, and then on the other hand, my dad grew up in Alabama, never left. And the first time he came to London, he literally sent me a list of like lawyers and like accountants and people I would need to get in touch with in case the plane crashed. And I was like, dad, what, (laughs) this is like, what are you, what are you talking about? I just finished like my 10th trip of the year and was all over the place constantly on an airplane. And he was like, I hate that so much. You have no idea. So they were super different in that respect. (laughs) That is drastically different. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that probably would have been um, entertaining to watch the different um, reactions that maybe your parents had as it related to to travel. But when you think about yourself, right, and so knowing that you had a good um, experience, a wide variety of experiences growing up traveling because it meant so much to your mother, what would you say travel has become for you now as an adult? Well, this kind of starts with a company called Moondance Adventures. Um, my dad's fraternity brother actually started this company and he always wanted to open a summer camp. Um, and this was his, his take on a summer camp, which is leaps and bounds cooler than any traditional summer camp I went to. And it basically, you're in small groups of like 12 people with two or three leaders and they take you somewhere in the world. You obviously pick where you're going, um, really how to travel how to live outside if you're doing like a, a, an outdoorsy trip. Um, and that like sparked my love of travel. I studied abroad because of it, like out of my shell. And then it became this like lifeline, this need of mine. Um, I would call it an essential need to travel and to see more places. Um, I think every time I take a holiday or take a trip, I just always think I've become a better person. Um, like I meet someone new. I try something new. I, you know, talk to people that, their first languages in English and all of that to me is so important um, in my normal life. Um, so I think it's become incredibly important, but it definitely started from just like camping in Washington state. Um, and it just grew from there. Yeah. Those experiences are important. And Krista knows that my motto, especially when it comes to my daughter is experiences over things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. With with Moon Dance, tell us a little bit more about that. So you went there for a little while. You spent six summers there, backpacking, rock climbing. Um, tell us a little bit more because I think you also interned there and took some summer. Yeah. So okay. So it's like they have a full time staff. It's a full fledged business, and they've got full time people in the office. But I was like a summer camp counselor, um, just kind of on steroids. So the three camps I did as a student. Um, were Washington and Oregon. And that was like an outdoorsy trip. Um, The rock climbing, the backpacking, all of that. The next summer I did Peru. And so that was Machu Picchu, um, whitewater rafting, a lot of cultural immersion. And then the final, oh, I lied. The second one was Alaska, which was like really intense outdoor stuff. And then I finished with Peru. I have serious FOMO right now. (laughs) It's super cool. You said you then went back to become a camp counselor. What was that process like for you? long process of like 
are you going to be a good role model for teenagers? Like, can we trust you to really, you know, make these kids better people? That was, it was intense, but it needed to be. And then I led Colorado, Peru again, because I was in love with it. And I finished that summer or that last summer with um, a trip to Thailand. So they kind of sent me all over the world and really got, I got to teach kids how to travel and how the one thing that sticks out to me is when we got to Thailand, we landed and were packing up a car to go to our like overnight hotel. And I got in what would be the U S driver's seat, but they drive on the British side of the road, I'll say. Um, and one of the kids was like, are you driving us here? And I was like, no, no, I'm just on the other, like, it's on the other side of the car. And they're like, oh, that's so weird. I was like, no, it's not weird. It's just different. Like yeah. things about other yeah. countries aren't weird. They're just different than what you might be used to. And I remember saying that and being like, oh my gosh, that's like such a good lesson that I just said out loud and didn't know I even, I never thought about <laughs> it that way. But when they said it was weird yeah. in front of our Thai driver, I was like, don't call this weird. This isn't weird. Uh, yeah, it's an incredible company. I call it an outdoor travel company. Um, it's just like, it. no question. We'll definitely have to look that up and post that on the blog too. Yeah. I'm like, man, can we do an adult version? <laughs> so they <laughs> yeah. tried it. We know yeah, they tried it. And it's really hard to like, because the trips were two to three weeks and that's such a long time to take off of work. So I think they're, they yeah. like yeah. never get the balance completely right. But I don't think it's, it's completely off the table for them. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I always check what they've got going on. Yeah, I'm gonna definitely check the website. So Krista mentioned your hike yes. to Mount Kilimanjaro. And so I am dying to know <laughs> more about that. So where did this idea come from? And you actually trained for this hike on your own. I did. From scratch. I did. So it kind of goes back to moon dance. I was like the fun, cool international traveler, but not like the athletic one. So like the really, really intense trips like Alaska, Kilimanjaro, those kinds of trips, they, they summited loads of different mountains in the States. I was not the first choice for those because I was, <laughs> I was like the good cook. I was like, you know, if someone was to come to me, I was more of the personal side of things. Yeah. Um, and so it was almost this, like, I've, I will accomplish this one day. It might not be right now. I probably need to get, you know, in, in a bit better shape. Um, and so it was always in the back of my mind. It's like, if I don't do it with Moondance, I'll do it some, at some point in my life. And I had loads of friends that climbed it through the company. And I was like, okay, look, I'm just going to do it on my honeymoon. That's the plan. But one of my friends that climbed it told me, you kind of lose control of your bowels at the top because the air pressure and stuff changes so much. So it's probably not oh, wow. a honeymoon destination. And I was like, all right, that <laughs> I'm going to cross that off my honeymoon list. Um, so when could I do this? And it really was like, I could pay for it and just go for it on my own and like figure it out. And then when I was working at Deloitte, um, they did a charity challenge every three years. Um, and I think there was five or six challenges and 50 people on each challenge, um, raising money for the charities that Deloitte sponsored. And I was a relationship manager for one of the charities. And so it was super near and dear to me. And I was like, this is like, this is the opportunity I'm taking it. So I applied, got the trip. Um, and it was really just the perfect situation of like the trip was subsidized financially. Um, and I was pretty low in the totem pole at Deloitte. And so I was paying way less than I would have normally. Um, the time of year was perfect for work. I love group activities just based on like my time at, Del at um, Moondance. I just love like a group based travel opportunity. 
Um, so I just went for it. So I think for you going and doing such a, an amazing trip, talk mm-hmm. about how travel is essential. Talk about what branched between going to Mount Kilimanjaro and your day-to-day life. Like, how did you train for this while also traveling? Yeah, so I... When I got the opportunity, it was Christmas of the year before. So it was like mid-December. Oh, the years are escaping me. 2017 or 2016. I genuinely can't remember. Um, And then I I knew I had until mid-September of the next year to train. And I was like, okay, if I start training too early, I'll burn out and I won't ever, you know, it won't actually make a difference. And so I really just like made a plan for that nine months. And I, I just kind of said, I know where I need to be for work for, you know, these certain trips. I know I want to take a couple additional trips here and there just for, you know, holiday and relax from work. Um, and then what are the key things I need to do to actually make it up this mountain? And the good thing about doing it with a company like Deloitte is they hired like amazing travel guides who had done this trek a million times. And they just said, this is, these are the key things you need to do. And this is what people ignore. And it really does impact like their success rate on the mountain. Um, so I was just like, anything you say is Bible and I'm going to follow every single word you say. Um, and so the big thing they said is if your boots are new, you need to walk constantly in them, like around your neighborhood, go to the store, like your feet, if your feet hurt, you're going to struggle and it's going to be really, really miserable. And luckily I had boots from all my moon dance trips um, that were very well broken in and I knew they were comfortable. So I, I knew I was out of the woods in that respect, but they said, you need to practice being on your feet for hours and hours and hours a day. Um, and that really pre- over prepared me almost like the every day on the mountain was like maybe four hours of hiking. Like it wasn't that intense, but then some at night was, like 15 hours. And so oh, wow. pretty much, yeah, hours. we woke up at like 10 PM quote unquote woke up. Cause you can't sleep in altitude. So we were laying there and all of our thoughts of like, what have I gotten myself into? Um, <laughs> and then we summited, I think 12 hours later, and then it was about three hours down. So yeah, it was a good 15 hours. So I just made sure like that, you know, they didn't really give wow. us a number of hours that we were going to be on our feet, but they said, do like a couple eight hour walks on your feet, no stopping, you know, just like really, really push what you can do now because it will benefit you later. That is tough. I mean, to prepare for something like that is remarkable and it's not for the faint at heart, right? So what would you say, Corey, helped you to be successful? Because we know that not many people make it to the top. Uh, but you did. And so tell us your secrets, please. So I think my main thing is mentally preparing for it. I think because I was never really picked to be like the athletic one who was ever going to summit a mountain. It was like that, that drive I needed to really push myself it was almost like prove to people that I could, because I'm sure some people in the past were like, that girl is never making it up a mountain. Um, Mm-hmm. So that was like my big drive. And then just the want to do it in like the personal growth and like just to be able to say that I summited one of the seven summits is is insane. Um, and then I really just stuck to my plan and it, I got really involved in the training like three months before. So I joined Orange Theory because um, I knew that would physically challenge me. And if I could start getting better at those workouts, like it would make me at least mentally feel like I could accomplish Kilimanjaro. Mm-hmm. Um 
I really didn't go out that summer. Like I, I love going to the bar. I love going to the pub. It's part of the culture here. Um, and I really don't remember doing that much that summer other than training and making sure I was eating well and just really like getting my mental health and physical health in like the best shape I could be in. Because then I knew if I, if I didn't make it, I did everything I possibly could. And so the disappointment would hopefully not hurt as bad. Um, and then, so I think those were my biggest things is just making sure like I felt as good as I possibly could feel um, going into the trip. Absolutely. That's so powerful. Congratulations. Oh, Definitely. I mean, that's just badassery right there. I think that it, it's something that a lot of people, like I was sitting here and I almost got lost in my thoughts. I'm like, could I do this? Could <laughs> yes. I push myself yes. to do it? I don't you know. absolutely could. And we did it in like, <laughs> we did it in five days. So I think it was four days up, one day down. It was super quick. And the doctor that, that hiked with us said she was not happy with the plan because it was reckless. She didn't say reckless. She just said it wasn't what she would advise. Um, she would advise at least one extra day of acclimatization because we really only had one day of climbing really high, staying there for a few hours, and then going back down so we could sleep a bit better. Um, and the altitude, that's the part that you can't really prepare for. Um, so when I first got the opportunity, I was like looking into clinics where you can go and wear like a helmet that makes you feel like you're in altitude and try to do some sort of physical activity. I was like this, I have to do something like this. And then I got to the point where I was like, even if I practice that way and spend all this money, I still might not make it, um, when the real thing comes, um, Mm -hmm. and the altitude, that is the tricky part. It's like, you can be in the best shape of your life and you have no idea how altitude on any given day is going to make you like feel, um, and one girl on our trip had to get helicopter to a hospital because she had such bad altitude sickness. She had, um, HACE, which is high altitude cerebral edema. So her brain was just swelling. Um, yeah. And she, I mean, she was an accountant. She could do numbers like me and she couldn't do 100 minus like 93, I think was the test. She couldn't even do a simple like subtraction problem. Um, the morning of the summit because she was so sick from the altitude. So it was like, we saw people who were like, they could have run up the mountain. They were in such they just dealt with altitude really, really well. And some people that were incredibly sick because of it. Mm-hmm. But at least they can say that they wow. attempted. Oh, absolutely. Right? And there are so many people who just won't because of the the thought, right, of what that battle might be physically and mentally. They just may not be willing to do that. And I think it's awesome that they even tried. And I, I would hope that that's the perspective that they would even have. I know there's definitely a disappointment factor with it but I'm like give me 500 feet and I'm gonna be like, put me in front of the mountain and I'll be like I'm good <laughs> yeah but the people who didn't make it on the trip like kind of had their own personal goals as well so they said you know but at least mm-hmm. I made it here or the girl who got yes. helicopter to a hospital was like don't think I could have controlled that any other way so she had a really good perspective mm-hmm. about it and we I mean there was nothing she could have done like the doctor 100% was never going to clear her to climb Um, and rightfully so she was just way too sick, but, but I think that was the thing where I knew I couldn't control the altitude and how it made me feel. Um, and so if I could at least prepare myself in every other aspect, then I did what I could do. And the rest was like up to chance. I so admire that. Yeah. I think that's like the biggest takeaway from what I'm taking from the story is 
is that, you know, there's some challenging things out there, but you can only do everything that's in your control. And once it's not in your control anymore, you really shouldn't be worrying about what's not in your control, yeah, I guess. I mean, a hundred percent. That's like, and I really think that's the only way to, to tackle the mountain is like, if you stress out, if you stress yourself out so much about the altitude and how sick you could get, you know, your mentality of climbing, you know, that diminishes massively you, you're constantly thinking i'm gonna fail because of x y and z instead of saying like i really prepared for this i'm gonna accomplish it and i just kept i, I just always said like today's gonna be fine you're gonna be fine um and i really do think yeah. doing it with um a team really helped because i had one really bad day my tent mate had three really bad days we didn't think she was going to make it and then she finally like got acclimatized enough to summit so like some people had good days, some people cool. had bad, and everyone was like lifting each other up and like really encouraging each other to make it. That's great. When you're thinking about travel, for the most part, like this is a team effort, but yeah. a lot of trips are solo and you've done a lot of travel on your own for work as well as personal. Um, tell us a little bit about what travel has become to you as an yeah, adult I think, overall. Honest, I mean, I think I said this earlier, it's like almost like a lifeline. Like I, I work really hard in finance um, within my company, which is like not exciting, right? And travel is exciting. So when I get an opportunity <laughs> to travel, it's like, oh my gosh, finally I get to go and almost be myself um, and just experience something that is not related to numbers or not related to U.S. tax, which I also do all the time. Um and so it's really become that, like, <laughs> even when I get to travel for work. So I work um, at an international company now, and the two founders are Estonian. So we go to Estonia quite a bit. Um, like, even going there, like, I get to stay in Airbnbs in the middle of the old town. And, like, it's and it's places I've been multiple times. But just getting to do something different, get out of my comfort zone, change up my normal routine, just really, I just think has made me a much more, like, well-rounded and open person. Um, that I don't think just uh, like not being able to travel wouldn't have granted me the same opportunities personally. So I'm going to take a moment here, Corey, to call you out a little bit because in your responses, you quoted, <laughs> I love airport. I love airplane food. I love being uncomfortable. It makes it me feel more human. <laughs> Which, Full embrace. I, I love Full that. Embrace. Tell, <laughs> tell us a little bit. okay so I cook all the time so number one any opportunity to eat someone else's cooking I'm like great this is this is I'll take it um and I just I think everything about an airport and an airplane trip everything about it excites me because it means I'm going somewhere fun or I'm going home to see family or I'm coming back to London to like you know get back on my normal schedule that kind of thing I just get excited about no matter where I'm going it doesn't matter the circumstance or if even if I'm just going to Auburn Alabama I get excited and so I think that's why I like love the airport I love the uber or tube ride to the airport it always makes me excited I chat with my uber driver more than than ever than any other time um airplane food is not that bad I really don't think it's that bad I mean, the butter is always frozen, so you got to warm it up under your meal. Like, there's tricks. That's important. She's a hack. <laughs> I just don't think it's Airplane that bad. Airplane food hacks. Yeah, that will be a part of the vlog. Um, yeah, and so obviously sometimes it's better than others, but yeah, I just love all of it. And then back to Moon Dance, like they always said, you're going to be uncomfortable. Like you're in Alaska, we didn't shower for three weeks. We had one opportunity, and the water was so cold. I just chose to be dirty for three weeks. I was like, whatever. It doesn't, it just doesn't matter. 
my hair like went from greasy to like not in the three weeks. It kind of went that full cycle, had full dreadlocks. It was wonderful. Um, and they're like, you're just going to be uncomfortable. And so the more comfortable you get with being uncomfortable, the better your experience is going to be. Um, and it just like really hit me. Um, and that's, yeah, it's kind of how, like, I don't mind if an Airbnb is <laughs> kind of sucks and it doesn't look exactly like the picture because I'm in a new place and I get to eat new food and see new people and try new things. Um, and it's just all about like going with the flow, I think, cause it's huge in travel for me. And then I do come out of it on the other side being like, I'm not, I'm not just this privileged person locked away in their room in, you know, central London with all the great things. Like I've experienced something else and I can accept and notice my privilege and see it and like not, and I don't know, it just, I just think it makes me like a more well, well-rounded person. Like I get to experience other things and see how other people live and try to bring that into my life and try to give back and appreciate that. I would agree wholeheartedly with that. I think that we all hold privilege, right? Yeah. And there are some of us who can acknowledge that and I applaud and some of us who can't. And I, you know, hope that they will continue to work on yeah. <laughs> seeing how they show up and how they view the world because our lens, everyone has a different lens in life, right? And I think that when you have an opportunity to reflect and say, just like you said, I'm going to embrace being uncomfortable because there's no growth in the comfort zone. Kristen knows that <laughs> when you said that, she was like, oh my goodness, Veronica's about to go off <laughs> on this because... I didn't even speak because I knew when you brought that comment up for you, I was like, I don't have any I was questions like, oh right my now. goodness. <laughs> I, I tell people, embrace the discomfort. There is no room for growth in the comfort zone. And if you go to specific places and you're looking for those things that you're just normalized to, and there are some people who travel that way, no, you know, no shade to them. But for me, I want to go and experience something totally different and I want to go to a place and have no clue what's on the menu mm -hmm. because it's in it's in Dutch yep. and I'm like okay so chicken <laughs> have chicken okay great um what type of green vegetable do you have <laughs> right so it's like or you look over to the side of your like that I want whatever it is that they have um and you're able to acclimate mm -hmm. because that is where the learning happens and I that's one of the reasons Kristen and I were so excited about the creation of this podcast because we want to encourage people to get beyond just the destination, right? Get beyond those beautiful Instagram ready mm -hmm. photos <laughs> that, you know, we all, I, listen, I, I can do an Instagram photo like ready. Oh yeah. I'd it. love it. But if there's all about right, it, you want to capture that, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you want to be able to see something, you know, and be able to look back on that. Um, but all jokes aside, the growth happens when you're able to learn about the different cultures. And mm -hmm. like you even said, it's not weird. It's, it's different. different. Yeah. And you can embrace that. And what if we all were able to look at the world from that lens? Okay. And I'm done. <laughs> and that's, I think coming from the <laughs> South, it's like, I, I, I lived in a totally different culture. I experienced it. And I like so many people I know don't have passports and I feel incredibly privileged to get to travel as much as I do and have a passport and see the world. And just even like, just to go to one other country for a lot of people in the States is, is a huge deal. 
Um, And so I do, I acknowledge that completely, but I also just want everyone to be like, okay, instead of buying this new car, what if I went on a couple of trips this year? And then you might see that like this new car is not as important as you thought, or, you know, just, I, I just right, right now for me in my twenties, like my life is very much about what other places can I see? And so I made like a, a list and it was like, go to Nepal, try to trek to base camp. Like there's so many things that are not really about going to a place or at least going to a place with like Wi-Fi or restaurants. It's just going to experience things that I will never see again and could never duplicate in any other way. And they wouldn't feel the same way. and They wouldn't change me in the same way. Um, so yeah, all on board with that. Kind of taking that next question off that, you, you say your most memorable trip is Vietnam. It's not even Mount Kilimanjaro. And I wonder if it's because it was such a different place to be and a different experience. Why did you think Vietnam was so memorable? And and I, honestly, this was different. the hardest question is figuring out what is my most memorable trip. And I toyed between Russia with my sister and Vietnam with my friend Kira. And I went with Vietnam because it was one of those trips that like everything went right. And we had we didn't have a single plan when our plane took off. Um, we also, um, I, I was, um, robbed at a bar like two days before and I lost my visa, basically my BRP card to get back into the United Kingdom. And so when we took off, I was like, I don't know if they're going to let me back in. We have nowhere to stay. We've made absolutely no plans. What's going to happen. Um, and the whole trip was absolutely perfect. And it just is like still shocking to me that it went over so well because I'm normally a planner. But this one was like just perfect. And it was, I spent so much time in Thailand um, and found it quite touristy. Like it's still amazing. There's still so many good things to see there. So many people to meet and things to see. All of it's great. But there was something about Vietnam that was just so, it, it's, they've refused to conform to Western society in so much of the country. And I think a lot of that does have to do with the war. And that's a totally different story. Um, But yeah, I just really thought that the authenticity of Vietnam like really shocked me. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know what to expect. Um, and I just thought it was really special. So let's talk a little bit about the trip. So you went to um, three different cities sure. and I'm going to let you <laughs> say the name. So I don't so say So we started in Ho Chi Minh City, um, which is in the South-ish part. Um, and that was, and this, okay. I mean, this kind of goes back to the war, but that was a, a occupied by the French a long time ago. And so it really has this like French influence, which I did not expect. I had no idea what to expect again. Um, But a lot of the buildings looked very European and there were like wine bars and stuff. And I was like, what is this place? And someone explained that the French influence was massive there and they occupied that part of the country long before the war. And so it was just, it's really embedded in their culture now. And I thought that was super interesting and they have this fusion a lot of fusion foods of like european and um vietnamese food and so that was super cool very interesting um so that was where we started we then day before booked a flight to hoi an which is the beachy area in the middle of the country and this was fairly touristy but um we did a really good job i think of avoiding it so we just like rented bikes and we kept going off the grid we would find a green spot on Google maps and just try to bike to it and then bike around it. And so we ended up in like all of these fields and we met all these farmers and just, we couldn't speak any word of Vietnamese and they couldn't speak a word of English, but you know, lots of like waving and smiling and pointing out how cute their kids were. And that was really sweet. Um, 
got some clothes made at Hoi An. That's a big thing there. Really cool, interesting experience. They like the the tailors there make clothes so quickly. We walked in on say Monday, and on Wednesday I walked out with like three pairs of trousers and a dress. It was great. Um, and then from there we wow. flew to Hanoi, which is up north, and that is less westernized than the southern part of the country. And they're they're like old city is still so true to itself. And they, what I call sidewalk culture, I'm not sure if that's correct, but all the shops and restaurants open and they have little chairs, like little, like kitty looking chairs that sit on the sidewalk and everyone of all ages, like has their meal out there, hangs out on the sidewalks. Like there's no cars that drive around. So everyone's just kind of like spilling into the streets, living their lives on the sidewalk. And I have never seen that. I thought it was incredible, interesting, cool. Um, the food was amazing. The coffee is to die for. Um, yeah. And then we did like a little trip to um, the like islands and did a boat trip. That was like the party side of that trip. But um, yeah, we kind of just did a bit of everything and we didn't have any plans. And just whenever we wanted to leave whatever city we were in, we decided to go um, and really got like a good mix of culture and fun and everything we were looking for. What we do with every episode is list the top three spots that you mentioned. So we'll definitely list the ones that Corey just mentioned on the blog. So you guys can check those out um, and make sure that you are able to go to some of the places that she's mentioned. Um, And then we'll also put a a little bit of details around Kilimanjaro. And then I think it's funny that Ronnie mentioned sharing um, some of your your plane (laughs) tips, but I feel like someone should know that. Yeah. That's like step one because the the rolls are always a little hard and cold and the butter is too. And like, even if the meal isn't that great, there's nothing wrong with bread and butter ever. And so if you can make those a bit more edible, then you'll have a great snack at least. Listen, you got to give us all those tips. <laughs> because when Krista told me that, I was like, what? And no, I do. I have a friend who feels the same way. I, she's my old roommate, Amy, and she loves airplane food. And so I was like, okay, this is, we're going to be friends. Because I was like, do you mean like the Delta Sky Club? Food? No. Are you really sure she means airplane? She's like, no, airplane. I mean airplane. I'm like, yes, 100%. I do. Oh, Corey, thank you so, so much for joining us on this episode. We can't wait to share your tips with our listeners. And for those of you who have tuned in, we thank you so much. And until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, all. Thanks for listening. For more information about our guest speakers, their favorite locations, or the Nourish Your Drive project, please visit nourishyourdrive.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share with your network, and don't forget to subscribe on whichever platform you're listening. And please be sure to let us know what you think by leaving us a review. If you have any questions for our guests or requests for specific locations, please drop us a note at nourishyourdrive at gmail.com. Until next time, Continue to explore experiences beyond the destination.